This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting, though. Oh, he's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untaps in front. Untaps holding on. What a win. Untap from the Aris and Sandler Cup. And it's very elegant. Ten group ones. And now the greatest of them all, the Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I feel like I've got a bit more bounce in my step today. The good horses are about, uh, the good dogs are about. All three codes are, um, uh, have got so much to offer at this time of the year. It's pretty exciting. Once you tick over into October, uh, Matt, did you like that? Tick over into October. Um, it's, it's sort of a new ball game. You know where you're at. It's like coming around the home term. Melbourne Cup's about a month away. All the big races are on our doorstep, but in all three codes. It's a great... Time well, of the year. Well, we're not ticking over into October. We're ticking over into October this morning. And what what am I talking about, Simone? Who are we going? Who's who's one of our guests? <laughs> it's usually Dan that comes up with those little. Well, no, but except this was a good one. So it, it was. It was. I'll give you that. So we do have Has Tabor. I'm um, talking about their amazing horse, Captain Ravishing, and what he's been doing on the track recently. And we're also talking to Brendan Purcell, who took out the million dollar chase at Wentworth Park last Saturday night. So we have a. Million dollar guest joining us this morning. We do, and he once ran a car wash, and I'm obsessed by that part of it as well. So, lots coming up this morning, Daniel. There is indeed, but um, there'll be two good chats. Brendan uh, had a terrific history in harness racing before he shifted to the Greyhounds, and Has Tabor's been involved in harness racing for a long time, and they made a conscious decision. Uh, the, the the Tabor brothers, with Ahmed and uh, and also uh, Freddie and and Has to uh, send a Captain Ravishing to Emma Stewart, where the horse had two starts for two wins, has turned into an absolute uh, superstar, and maybe the best is yet to come. The Derby heats are on tonight. Smoke up Sprint and also the Oak Seat, so it's a huge night tonight. But our first guest will be uh, Brendan Purcell, whom we'll talk to shortly on the back of him winning the Million Dollar Chase last Saturday night. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Malicki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. You know what I like about this show, Matt? Sometimes things come the up company? that the company is number one, but sometimes things come up with guests that I was unaware of, and our guest is now a million-dollar man. Mm. But he was involved in harness racing as well. So um, I was very, well, I thought, gee, I should have already known that. But I, I didn't, but I do now. But our next guest on Cracking the Codes is Brendan Purcell. So he took out the million-dollar chase last Saturday night. He used night to be in harness racing. At Wentworth Park. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and you were the one that told me that. So thank you. But good morning, Brendan. Yeah, good morning. Uh, the bit that I'm most interested in is he used to run a car washing business as well. I've always wondered <laughs> if there's a quid in that game, so we'll get to that eventually. Isn't there a song about car wash? With, was that um, Christina Aguilera or someone? Was that was that her? Oh, there, oh, there's to, an old, much older song, Car Wash, like it was 70s, I think. Well, uh, we may as well start with it, Brendan, because well, that's what we've zeroed in on. Uh, <laughs> tell us, <laughs> when did you run this car wash between the two codes you've been a, a participant in? Yeah, when I um, sort of wanted to uh, get away from harness racing, um, one of my owners that I've had, had for years, he said, why don't we go into a business together? And so we, we ended up building a car wash, and yeah, and I, I sort of run it, and um, yeah, then I, um, I sold it, we sold it, and then I moved back over here. So. Right, so I, I am genuinely intrigued, because we all get our cars washed, and you know when you get the five-star wash where you pay that little bit extra with the token and and all the brushes hit so what where was the car wash and how sophisticated was it was it one of those ones where you could just go higher and higher and higher and get the ultimate car wash yeah no it was in um the place called bridgewater near hobart um in tassie and um yeah it had a lot we had a laundromat there dog wash um automatic and some um, bays and vacuums and a detailing business too so all right. Ah, a dog wash. Schmicker. I noticed it. I noticed it wasn't a horse wash. It was a dog wash. Yeah, no, a dog wash. Yep. How much for the for the gourmet? You know, when you go through and all the spray hits you and the foam and that. How much were you paying for the ultimate car wash there when you drove through? The ultimate one was eighteen dollars. I can tell you by Bayside prices, that's competitive. But how long ago was the car wash? It was a number of years ago now, wasn't it, Brendan? So that might have been the top end of car wash prices? Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. It was uh, eight, nine years ago. 
Yeah, so play, yeah. paying a premium it must have been a pretty good car wash. But let's talk about racing. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm not quite ready to let go, but okay, <laughs> all right. So harness racing, Brendan, I was very interested to find out that um, that's what you're a driver, trainer of harness racing in quite a big way um, and then moved to Greyhound. So can you take us back to your trotting days? Yeah, well, when I was at school, I used to, my brother-in-law used to um, train a few harness horses. Dad used to go and help him after school and on the weekends. And, um, yeah, sort of when I left school, um, needed something to do. And then I knew someone over there that knew John McLean, trainer from over here. And he said, I could probably get your job there. So I'd come over and work for him and work for Gavin Lang for a while and then ventured out on my own. And, um, yeah, done a bit of like driving a lot when I was a junior. Um, yeah, then went out on my own and made a living, didn't, didn't have a lot of what I would say success, but yeah, and then um, moved back to Tassie with some for a while and um, sort of sort of got sick of it to be honest and then yeah, we ended up the car wash and then I my uh, wife, ex-wife came home one day and said she's going to buy a grand and I said, oh, I said I'll train it, you know, and um, that, that didn't eventuate but then I knew Jason Sharp over here, a dog trainer and um, rang him and I said, got any old dogs over there, I could just muck around with just to give it a go and um, sent one over and yeah, he won three or four races for me and it all sort of started from there. Hey, uh, you mentioned work for John McLean, quite a character, uh, would have been uh, fun and frivolity working with John. I saw him the other night actually at Shepparton and he seems in pretty good health and he was telling some wild and woolly stories from, from yesterday, Brendan, but uh, tell us what it would have been like with John. Uh, every day would have been a bit different, I would imagine. Was he still at Toolan Vale at the time? Forgive my ignorance, Dan. I, can, I get confused with quite famous Rivoli Jack. What, what was the yeah, great... Rivoli Jack. Rivoli Jack. Rivoli Jack. Bronski beat. Um, yeah. He had a whole lot of horses, didn't he, Brennan? You probably remember, remember them uh, better than, than most, but I think Rivoli Jack was his best, but he always had problems. Yeah, he was very uh, a strange dog, but like a uh, horse. But yeah, <laughs> for sheer ability and speed, he, he, was, he was just sensational. But yeah, no, like, there was a lot of good, good horses there. When I was there, Voigt, he was another good one. He was country. Yeah, country Voigt. Dog, but, um, yeah, Rivoli. Lady, you know, like she won size at eight races. Everything on Mark. We had about 40 horses there at one stage. I think he ran second or third on the trainers' premiership one year. And, um, yeah, they're all airborne and it was just a uh, real baton. Rivoli Jack was not a super champion, but he was good enough to get people to the races. He was such an exciting horse. I, I remember Adam Hamilton and I were there, and Brian Markovic called this night, Dan. I think it was either the Christmas Cup or the Easter Cup. And I remember Rivoli Jack came from last and won. Brendan, do you have a recollection of that? And was that his normal race? Was he a flash-home horse, Rivoli Jack? Yeah, well, he, was, he used to play up bad at the start. He used to gallop a lot. And, um, Brian Gaff used to used to seem to be able to get him away the best and do it, so he used to drive man Gavin to of course, but um, yeah, like he, he, he just, sheer speed it was just crazy, I drove him a few times um, in track work, I drove him in a trial once and it was just ridiculous, but he was a very scary horse to drive because um, yeah, he used to quite try, he'd be nearly going flat out and he'd actually stick the boots in, he'd, he'd kick and all, he, all that sort of thing and he was just strange you know, to shoe him, it was, it was real hard to, to get shoes on him, they used to have to pull his leg through the other side and shoe him the opposite side, side of what they should be and he'd lay down and yeah, he was a funny horse. <laughs> Sounded like the problem child but Brendan when you're talking about these people and these horses obviously you're in successful stables and with successful people why was it that you just got sick of it? Oh, I just, just found, I went back back to Tassie and, and we went over there and we went pretty good at the start, we took, sort of set a bit of a clean up to go home and I, I was sort of going real well and it just sort of got hard. At, um, you're always sort of struggling a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I've done it for I think, whatever, 25, 30 years. I just said, said that's it. So I sort of had enough. Walked away, more or less. And with the Greyhounds, that um, kept you in the racing game, but obviously just gave you that boost that you needed and an injection of 
um, adrenaline and excitement and all the rest of it. And I'm sure you would never have thought that once you got into greyhounds or that greyhound pup that time um, or the dog that Jason Sharp gave you, that you would be sitting here talking about the Million Dollar Chase, uh, the Sandown Cup that you won a couple of years ago. Um, It probably was something that you would always have dreamt of. Everyone does as a greyhound trainer. But to think in a short eight years that you've accomplished races like this, you must pinch yourself. Yeah, no, it's been good. I mean, look, I, I owe it all to Robbie Britton since um, I was over in Tasmania. I met Robbie come over there for the Hobart Thousand and I, I never knew him. And I actually went out for lunch with him and Michael Stringer. And, and he said, what are you doing with yourself? And I said, oh, I'm not nothing really. He worked with a few dogs and he goes, you want to come over? And so I come over and um, luckily enough, I went up to, he's got another property behind his and put me in there. And um, yeah, there for a while, we just done it all together. And then gradually I got got me licence to race here and, and we sort of get up, got our own team so he's helped me, like whenever he's full he, he handballs me dogs um, yeah, like to this day I'll still go and help him in the mornings and, and all that sort of thing and we're working together so yeah, I really owe it all to him Brendan, the amazing prize money in greyhound racing now yeah, I'm just trying to think of it as, a, as an enticing entry point for people that in the old days, it was like, oh, you know, we'd, we'd get by, we'll go 50-50 with the owner, and we might be able to, you know, make it work. But these days, it's like this giant dangling carrot with so many races now where it can be literally life-changing. I know it's very hard to achieve it, but it's there as an enticement, isn't it? How, how big a carrot are these massive um, prize money races for potential newcomers to the training caper in greyhound racing? Oh, no doubt. I mean, the money is just just huge, and um, it just it just seems to get more million dollar races every year. Um, but yeah, not like I mean, it's, it's an easy um, get into for the owners. Like like once the dog leaves, is it at a stage he goes to the train? Well, that's more or less it. They don't pay anything until um, until we've got to find a home for them, or, or you know, like we just send them to Gap or something like that. Um, yeah, so look, look. I mean, the money's there, and I mean, if people want to put yeah, it's not a big outlay for greyhounds, is it? And you would definitely know the comparison with horses, with just the the shoeing and the wear and tear, and just the upkeep and the feed in particular with having a racehorse as compared to a greyhound. Which what's is what's the most expensive regular cost with a greyhound? Probably feed. feed. Mm, mm. Yeah. How much would you spend on feed a week? Um, oh, it depends how many dogs. But maybe a dog every day. Would it be maybe $3 to $4 a day, Brendan? Would that be rough? I'm just trying to think how much a kilo of yeah, kangaroo yeah, is. Rough. and yeah, maybe yeah, roughly. Well, I, I train 30 dogs. and I, With wages and everything, my operation costs me about 2800 a week. <laughs> 2800 a week, that, that's everything. You know what I mean? Like, more or less. Um, yeah, it's a good. It is a good return when you've got and you've got city dogs. This is the other thing. Um, yeah. You're not just battling around the country, even though the country prize money. I mean, we do quite well out of country prize money um, when the the dogs are winning and placing. But those city races, Brendan, you know, you're running for around six thousand dollars on a, a Thursday and a Saturday night. I mean that, and even half of that, that more than covers your wages and feed and well, everything for the week. Well, without asking a personal finances question, as you know, a mainstream sort of business, like, okay, you ran the car wash for a few years and there's an obvious return there as everyone hangs, you know, turns in there and uses the facility, as opposed to sort of like a career of passion, like training greyhounds or harness horses. What, what, what's the more lucrative career option? What, what's been the most lucrative for you with the, the big prize money for the greyhounds, the regular income of the car wash or, or the harness horses? Yeah, I mean the car wash you now, like it used to turn over eight, nine, ten thousand a week, but your costs, like your machine breaks down, and, it's, and, it's, and you're up to five thousand, and all the maintenance and wages and different things, and um, the headaches of it all. But now, greyhounds are definitely uh, a lot more lucrative it, on my side. You know, I mean, like you have your bad times. I had a shock in four months, January through to um, April, um, but you just got to you know, get money aside and make sure you got it there, and it'll turn around. You keep doing the same thing, things will turn around, and it should come right again. Yeah, it does turn around sometimes when you're on the bottom of that wheel, though. <laughs> Gee, it gets quite depressing. But talk about the, let's talk about the Million Dollar Chase on Saturday night, Brendan. Um, can you just explain to our listeners what it entailed, the lead-up races and travelling up to Wentworth Park and all of that, and then give us a real snapshot on the night of what the atmosphere was like. Um, they turned over 
it was over $7.3 million in turnover on Saturday night at Wentworth Park, which is phenomenal. So people want these type of races. They're interested. It's engaging. But just from your perspective and as a trainer and having the dog and having to do the right thing by the dog, can you take us through that? Yeah, well, it all started... Um, well, the dog, dog was in Tasmania with my son, Blake, and um, was talking to the owner, Noel Muggerman, he said, why don't we give him a go-back over? And I, I, I just said, oh, you know, I'd like to come back over, and I thought he might want a grade five at the Meadows, a grade five at Sandown, and he um, that much. And then when he got here, he sort of started to go, we've got to be better, and um, got used to the racing again. And, and then um, he was eligible to go back to Tassie to go into the Nationals, um, which is a, a race around every... Um, a runner from every state gets to go into it if they win the final and he was eligible to go back there to race in it so we sent him over there because it would be a little bit, bit easier for him and um, he won his heat final and then so then he had to take him to Wentworth Park that's where the final was and then he went up there and performed good he ran third and probably should have won the race and then so it was you know had to head back to the million dollar race so he had to go, go up qualify in the heats at Wentworth Park then go into the semis um, you had to win the semis, it was eight, eight semis, and you had to win that to get in, and then lucky for him, he won, and then he came up with box one in the final, and it was a million dollars then. Let's take a, a listen to the race, um, Brendan. It was, yeah, just so exciting hearing it, and I can't believe how cool, calm, and collected your son Blake stood behind the boxes. <laughs> I don't know if it was just fear or shock or what it was, but um, he was very, very calm. But let's take a listen. Racing, he's on fire away briefly, spearing straight to the lead from French Martini and McInerney getting up on the rails. Zipping Kyrgios into fourth placing now. They're followed by Aglan Luai. Next came Gatlin, well back is holding up and last zipping Alabama. Down the back straight and it's he's on fire who leads it by two McInerney. Zipping Kyrgios is running on. They're clear of Aglan Luai. It's he's on fire at the home corner just from McInerney. Zipping Kyrgios in the middle. McInerney hit the front. Zipping Kyrgios drive back. It's not very often that the crowd at a greyhound race pretty much like outshines the race caller. We could barely hear Matt Jackson over the the scream of the crowd. It just it must have been just euphoric being there, Brendan. Yeah, no, it was, and um, I was shaking after the race. I just couldn't believe it. I think um, yeah, I think a lot of them were cheering for Zip and Curios too. Hometown, of course, and there was a lot of people here cheering for uh, McInerney because um, they were all pretty happy after the race, jumping up and down. So, um, yeah, no, but it, it sort of wasn't the, the biggest crowd. I think I've been out there before when there's been a bigger one, but um, they all seemed pretty um, intrigued to be there and um, be down near the winning post anyway. I know what I would have been thinking because I'm very mercenary. I'd have been thinking about the money the whole time, like, you know, <laughs> interference. I'm thinking, oh, God, there's a million bucks. So, it, I know you're there for the sport as much as anything else, but I know I'm harping on the money, but when it's so life-changing, it's almost when the, the final Kino ball drops in the right hole and you go, oh, God, I've got number 13. What, were you, was it hard not to start thinking about the money straight away? No, not, I didn't really. Um, look, I was, I'm going to give, your son's going to get half the money that I get, so um, I'm more happy for him and might give him a start in life to do something, you know. But, um, yeah, no, no, I, I mean, I was more worried during the week. It was probably more than he just hoped nothing went wrong with the dog and when we were working in the run, hoping he doesn't hit a fence or do something because I'd hate to have to bring the owner up and, and lose their chance of getting the money too, you know, as, as mine too. So, but once he went into the kennels when I got to Wentworth Park and I didn't have to worry about him, I, I was just, I was relieved really. But, yeah, then a couple of days later, start to sink in, you start thinking, gee, it's one a million dollars. It's a lot of money for a dog, isn't it? No. Yeah, it certainly Dan, is. Dan, you Where and did I... you watch the race, though? <laughs> because there wasn't a lot in it at the finish, Brennan. And depending on what angle you're on, you know, when you're behind the boxes, I know after a lot of years you're very acute the way you're able to pick up in photo finishes. But because the last thing you'd want to do is um, you'd go off a little bit too early <laughs> with a bit, of a bit of a photo finish. So where were you standing and, and how long did it take before you knew you'd won? Well, I actually, I walked right down to the bottom of the grandstand down near where the starting boxes were just by myself and sat in the grandstands. My son handled him, of course, and um, and I, I actually I didn't know. And then I just I, I couldn't hear the commentator because of, of like I said the noise of the crowd, and I could see the uh, semaphore board, and I just seen the one go up like the 20 seconds, 30 seconds after. And I, 
During the race, though, Brendan, like he had box one, which is a box that most people won in a big race like that, but he runs wide, doesn't he? On that first turn, he lost a lot of ground. Did you think that he was a chance after that first turn? He did make up the ground quickly to get near the leader, but must have been... And then he railed up the home straight. It was one of those runs, it's great that it's all over, and he really did give you a run for your money because it wasn't a straightforward type of race for him. No, no, definitely. He sort of, he's weird. He, he, um, sometimes if you've got a dog right on the outside, he won't do that running right up the track. But, um, yeah, like, I think when he got down the back, I, I, I was pretty confident he'd run the two down, just on what I've seen of the two. And then when I seen Tipping Curios and three, he, he's a very strong dog and a good dog, and he was sort of coming to his hammer. And I thought, oh, no, we're in trouble here. But, yeah, lucky, just lucky he done the right thing and went to the fence around the turn. If he goes out wide, he gets beat. But, um I'm still harping on it. Can't stop thinking about the million bucks. Sorry, because <laughs> you know you get the car wash and you think, God, it's going to take two years doing this. And then, Dan, years. you know what it's like when you, you know mortgages, loan sharks, you know gangsters, all these sort of things. You're sitting there going, Oh God, <laughs> I can wipe this out. And you're looking at this this animal with these floppy ears going. You can save the day here, my friend. <laughs> it's down to you. Don't run up a bum. Get a clear run. It's up to you. My life can change. Anyway, Brendan, I think that's it. I've, I've, I've overthought it. That's my last thing I'm going to say about it. Did you give him a nice pat when he got home? Oh, yeah. No, we, um, we come home and um, come home that night. I, I couldn't really do anything because I was there till 12.30, getting swabbed and all that sort of thing. Left Wentworth Park and... I yeah, got him a few ice creams at McDonald's and uh, cheeseburger, and then he did. Had you let him sit in the front passenger seat on the way home? No, nah, no, nah, he was in the back. You know, he was in the back with another dog. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, nah, he was good. He was all good. The other part to this amazing story, Brendan, is um, the fact that Noel Mugovan is the owner and born and he bred the greyhound, and obviously he's tied up with Robert Britton, and that's how you've come to get the greyhound. As well, but it was tinged with sadness because Mary Mugovan Brown, who is Noel's sister, passed away just a couple of weeks ago, and then Brian, her husband, had his birthday during the week too. So I just initially thought, you know, the dog had wings that night. He he had Mary guiding him around. It was just how wonderful would it have been for her to experience it too? But she was just taken so suddenly. She's such a lovely, lovely person. Um, and, of course, Jonathan Brown's mother as well. So she's well-known in the sporting circles and, and in the greyhound circles as well. I just, I, I just I felt for Noel. I thought, how must he be feeling? And he didn't mention it on the night on any of the social media that went out. But I'm sure it would have been quite emotional for him. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, uh, the whole family, they're a terrific family. And uh, Noel's a great owner and he's been a great support to my kennel. Uh, like I always have. 10 of, 10 of Noel's dogs at, at all times or in my kennel and um, yeah, he's very easy to train for and um, yeah look he, he got a little bit emotional he had a bit of a tear in his eye there a couple of times so um, no, he was pretty stoked um, yeah like he, he sort of takes everything in stride too Noel but yeah it's the first time I've sort of seen him a little bit like that so um, it's very good yeah, and of course Kevin Mugovan as well, a brother, another brother. So he mm. trained Golden Currency and been involved with greyhounds for a long, long time. Well, it, Brendan, it's been a great story, and I'm so glad that I found out that you were involved in harness racing because um, your son Blake used to do the pony trots, like Darcy is now as well. So we're both cross coders. Um, we've both sort of, you know, been mm, been around been a, a bit. Been around a bit, and so to speak, a, Brendan. So to speak, only a million so dollars speak. separates the two that, of you. That's right. Uh, yeah. We'll just when take... when do you, do you keep refreshing your bank account to wait for it to lob? How what's how does it work out? <laughs> I've got yeah, you got four four or five weeks to wait for it to come, so I can't spend it yet. Um, <laughs> uh, so no, once the swap clears, and, and then I'll then I'll be in there hopefully. What's yeah. are you going to buy a boat or something or? Nah, not at the moment. I already had a boat and sold that, so I won't be going that line again for a little while. But... They are a waste of time. I agree. All right. Well, we're going to keep on with this. I'm curious to know um, how we're going to spend this. Oh, I might take you out. I might take you out for dinner. That's oh, what no, I was no. angling for. Job done. Job done. He won't let up on it, Brendan. Book a no. table for two, Brendan, not four. Oh, okay. <laughs> we will go and give it a run at the casino. We might go on red or black. Oh, outstanding. We'll have, Let's we'll do have it. A crack Let's team the, up. Cracking the codes, million dollar chase party. 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it sounds, sounds You'd be good surprised what a sort of a dent we could put in the million dollars in, the, in an evening. <laughs> Especially with Malecki and some of his uh, indulgences. <laughs> nice wines, um, the, the expensive bottles of red. And good on you, like that, good on you, Brendan. You've won Doggy Tats Lotto, basically, haven't you? That's it, that's it. Yeah, no, exactly, yeah. exactly. No, but very, very lucky. That's what I like to say. Very lucky. Uh, no, well done, mate. It's a great, great story, Brendan. Thrilled for you. And uh, yeah, may the success continue. Thanks very much. Good on you, Brendan. It's interesting, Simone. I rang Simone, made return Simone's call during the week, Dan, and. Um, I thought something she'd had a cold or something because a much gravelier voice answered the phone and it was uh, the Dazzler. It was Darren, the husband. And we were talking about greyhounds and earnings and at what, what's the level of when it's a successful earning greyhound. And as much as there's all these very, very rich races, still if you get a greyhound that can probably earn 40000 plus, that's getting almost elite, isn't it? That's, it's hard to get to that point, isn't it? They're just... Look, they, they're probably what you call your bread and butter dogs. They're mm. the ones just ticking over nicely. Um, they may not be winning a lot of races, but they might be running quite a few placings. And you've got... And they cover you know, their exes, basically? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And that's what our kennel consists of predominantly, just good bread and butter dogs that keep ticking along. And without them, we can't all have city dogs. We all try to get them. And, um, you know, some of us are fortunate enough that because you need a stronger dog. But, look, we just do the best that we can with the dogs we've got and we do have some racing in the city and but now they're paying to fourth place as well. You might be able to get a well. new frock one day with, Maybe. with a successful greyhound. Maybe. Hmm. If, and then we can wear it to a party if we have a, a night out. The, the million dollar party. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you talked about bread and butter dogs. What about um, the uh, we're talking about uh, the, uh, the the greyhounds you know the, those uh, quality animals that come through but the, the the theme through the greyhounds when they're successful or even when they're not going past McDonald's and picking up uh, food from McDonald's, I wonder if McDonald's was aware of this to do an ad for greyhounds because it seems like there's as many um, customers that are four-legged as there are two-legged. <laughs> well, I think they're entitled to get a gig on the passenger seat, aren't they, if they win a million-dollar race? Uh, I told you the story about, bit speaking of Gavin, Gavin Lang... I told you the story about when I used to work in the stock feed store in Back of Smarsh, didn't I? And there was about three or four locals. And don't judge me if they're still around, because this is what you did at the time, who would have their Alsatian. When they, when they reverse into the stock feed store, the girlfriend would be in the back seat and the Alsatian would be in, in the passenger seat. <laughs> I always thought it was an awkward relationship dynamic when I looked at it and thought, okay, well, I guess... Well, maybe the dog was there first and the dog... Got in the passenger seat first. First, right. like, but I'm saying over a period of time and it's got lots of dog hair on the passenger seat and the girlfriend has True. come along and said, I'm not sitting on that seat unless you vacuum it. And the guy's gone and said, well... As if he's going to vacuum Yeah, it, as if yeah. I'm going to vacuum, mm. you can sit in the back. Or the girl wanted the more spacious Perhaps. back seat area. So. Perhaps. Or the dog went when the girlfriend come along and uh, without words being spoken, they both worked out where they were going to sit. Or there might have been sort of little pockets of 1980s misogyny in the town at the time. Who knows? <laughs> 1980. I wasn't very old in 1980. So. I said 80. Hey, speaking of 80s. very old, speaking of very old, happy birthday for last week too, Simone. Oh, thanks, oh, Dan. The big 4-9. Yes. You're just hanging yes, in there. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. Grand final day. So oh, I do you know. Didn't, I you didn't not, let us know about I, that. I did, but you just don't remember these things. But, oh. um, <laughs> are you on, <laughs> face, are you on Facebook? Because Facebook is when I know when my kids have well, a birthday, because Facebook tells you. Yeah, but remember, uh, your, your face came up on Facebook one time, and I don't have my Fisher surname on Facebook, and... I text you and I said to add or not to add, and I don't know whether I added you or not. So I don't oh. know if you're actually on my Facebook. Because, but I'm on it, but I've never contributed to it. I'm just a voyeur. You're just on one Facebook. of these people that scrolls through and sees what I'm everyone else is doing. Yeah, yes. so I have not seen one second of the grand final. <laughs> not one second on a news break or anything. Isn't that terrible? Uh, and a lot I come of people from didn't see the second half, so don't worry about that. Um, yeah, it wasn't, you <laughs> didn't miss much. No, I don't think so. But the final series was actually really good, bar the actual grand final. If you were a neutral, I'm sure every Geelong supporter thought it was fantastic. Hey, guys, I reckon in harness racing right at the moment, we've got a new star, potential superstar. And it's always exciting when you think the industry finds a horse like this. His name is Captain Ravishing. I reckon you used 
a word I've never heard you use before, which sums up how much I think you called him precious in the race. Yes, I think he is. Uh, I reckon he could start in the Victoria Cup and just about win it, which I can't. Well, I should be cutting my tongue out. But he's only a three-year-old. He's only had the two starts with his new stable, Emma Stewart. We're going to chat to owner Hass Tabor. Um, uh, Hass, of course, you'd remember Armoured Tabor, who was a guest on the show, and Freddie, who, who trained Sushi Sushi. So it's a team effort, but uh, Hass's name is, uh, is in the book. He's going to be our next guest. And um, uh, when we come back after our break, we will listen to at least one of the races that Captain Ravishing has won since he come back. But Right now, he could be anything. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Maliki, and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. Into the straight, Captain Ravishing. He actually wants to hang in a bit here. He's still as green as grass, but he has gapped them. He's 30 metres in front, Captain Ravishing. Wow, this is pretty stunning. When you can pick him to pieces like he's still got things to learn, he's won it by 35. Captain Ravishing won it from codename Marcus, Commander Buzz, Simply Sam, Jaws of Lincoln, Ideal Rock, Ideal Roll. Now hold on to your hats. If you don't wear a hat, your toupee, your hairpiece, your curlers... Whatever else, final quarter, 25 flat. That's about as quick as I've ever seen since I've been calling. 25 flat. And I maintain that, and we've had people go through the record books to find anything quicker. I, I do remember Christian Cullen in New Zealand. I can't remember if it was a trial or a race going 24-9, but nobody's been able to find a quicker final quarter anywhere in the history of Australian racing, harness racing. And Captain Ravishing was doing it about his fifth or sixth start. First run with Emma Stewart. Well, what did and you hang on to? You've got no hat. You've got no, no. toupee. You've got no <laughs> curlers. Your coattails, as per usual. That's uh, exactly. the only thing I hang on to. Exactly. You keep reminding me of. So I don't know what uh, owner has Tabor was, uh, was doing at the time there, but uh, uh, part of the dream that he's been dreaming for a number of decades now seemed like it might be coming to fruition, and we'll find out. He's since gone on to win a Kilmore last week on Cup Night, and it was actually a better win because it was more top to tail than just that scintillating final quarter. But uh, in the space of a couple of weeks, he's probably the most talked about horse in harness racing. And uh, the man that's enjoying this ride is, is owner Has Tabor. Has, thanks for joining us on Cracking the Codes. And um, wow, you must be living it up at the moment uh, with uh, this horse uh, realising his potential and more, Captain Ravishing. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um... Look, it's 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 a it's a wonderful feeling. Um, it's a nervous one. I've got to I've got to admit, um, but all the same, it's uh, very exciting going forward. Um, I'm just hoping that he can take us all the way through. It's interesting, like we in the racing game, we've seen how the ownership experience has been with the Winx people and the Black Caviar people, but. The next big thing, it's not like having the, the horse that's won three into Dominions and two Miracle Miles. It's all ahead. It was, reminds me of Ride High, and it unfortunately didn't work out there. But what's it like having a horse who everyone's talking about, but it's still all yet to happen, fingers crossed? Yeah, well, this is, this is the hard part. I mean, I've, I've been on um, similar rides, um, although probably not with the potential that he may have. Um, we've had a lot of nearlies. Um, but it's, it's, it's frightening to, to sort of think, you know, maybe could this be the one that could sort of really um, take you all the way. Um, and like you said, I mean, he's still a young horse. He's very green. Um, he's only had a handful of starts. But he definitely shows the ability to um, suggest that he will do the job, you know, and, and go ahead with his uh, career for sure. Your brother Ahmed was training him initially. Was it a hard decision to pass him on to Emma Stewart or did you just think that someone like her can just get the absolute best out of a horse that's got so much ability? Yeah, look, I, I, I've been asked this question um, once before, um, but it was a really, it was his decision. Um, you know, we sat down around the table. We had another, we've got another horse that's called Private Eye, which we've got a, a big opinion of. And, um, you know, before he went, or, um, you know, it was his teammate. And um, when he went down, really, we had no other horses that, <clears throat> excuse me, that could work with him. And, and, and so we had a meeting between myself and my two brothers and, um, and decided, we thought, well, OK, you know, we need to make the right decision for this horse to go further forward. Just to team him up with some horses that really can test him and, um, you know, bring him on to be a real nice horse. And I think when you look at... Um, you know, even the AFL, when when players, you know, go into sort of that environment, 
answered the question i was going to say in the world of harness racing like everywhere else greyhounds um gallops there are some trainers who can advance horses beyond the pack like we're seeing it with ma eustace and i'm not sure what the greyhound standout state maybe jason thompson those sort of people but emma stewart's a bit irresistible isn't she and clayton doug and clayton um tonkin because they they seem to be able to take horses to another level and i think you've answered the question by saying it it's the competition of having horses of a similar level uh, training against each other that li- raises the bar across the board. Is that is that what you've experienced there? Well, well, mate, I've, we've had the experience. I mean, we've had some really nice horses in the past, and, and we we found like we've been in the game for over thirty years now, or thirty odd years, and, and we found in the past when we've had the better ones, we've made lesser horses become a bit better by just working with those better ones, and and. To be quite fair to the horse, I mean, if, he, if he's working with slower horses, then he really doesn't get the best out of him. And I thought, you know, why not send him to a stable where they've got a team of stars, really? And, and um, you know, well, you, you can't sort of really argue about their uh, ability to get horses to uh, group one racing. And, and we thought, you know, they're only doing justice to get into that level. And, and really, um, I think the decision was the right one to make in the end. And, and I think we, we're going to see some sort of rewards, hopefully, down the track. Yeah, I'll be more surprised than not if you don't. Uh, the Derby uh, assignment uh, is next tonight with the heats and um, and hopefully progresses through to the final two heats and they're very strong. Uh, we heard his uh, first up win at Ballarat and it was all about that very fast last half and, and last quarter. Has but the the Kilmore win it, it was that of a real racehorse. It was from start to finish, and. I had to scratch my head after the race because, and Simone and Matt, you'll appreciate this, although it's hard to fathom, he broke the track record by one and a half seconds, which I found extraordinary, Hass. Yeah, he, he actually, if you watch that last 50, Dan, as well, I mean, he was just pricking his ears on the line, the bugger, and um, it's just all new to him still, you know, like, I think once the penny really drops, I think you'll find he'll get better, um, and he's, he's a good, genuine racehorse. Like, I mean, he doesn't pull, he doesn't over-race, he, he, he doesn't, um, uh, you know, do anything silly like that. Although he's still green, I think with time to come and a bit more experience, um, you, you'll find he'll, he'll become a little bit better, I think, as well. So, there's, you know, speaking to the to the stable up there, uh, they're, they're thinking there's a lot of improvement in him yet, for sure. Has, is he well, is he bred to be a champion? Is he well-bred? He is well-bred. Um, yeah, he's definitely well-bred, um, I mean, his brothers won a Group One race as well as a young horse. Um, you know, when when I went to Sydney, I, I remember sort of targeting him. Uh, we went up there to the APG tail and, and went through the whole catalogue, and just kept coming up with this one particular yearling. And, and I, was, I remember ringing up his brother Arm and said, "Mate, you better get up here on a flight. I, I just can't get past looking at this horse." And then he jumped on a flight, come up and pulled him out, and went over and inspected him, and he said, "Mate, I think he needs to bring this one home." So. You got him at the sales, Hass, um, and he's got the potential to be a stallion as well. And you could just see, you know, hopefully it's a few years down the track, but the promo for uh, him would be running that 25-second final quarter, as well as hopefully a group one or two or three or four. Um, but you picked him out at the, the, the yearling sales. So, so tell us about that. I mean, I, I've got great admiration for anybody that's able to do that. It, it's... It sounds easier than what it is, but I've tried to do it before, and I haven't got a horse that's favourite for the Derby. Although I did once, though, to be fair, but I bred it. <laughs> Had to mention that one, didn't he? Yeah, yes, just just take it away, take it away. <laughs> um, look, I, I I think to make a nice stadium, I think they've got to have the looks. They've got to have, the, you know, he's definitely got the speed and the stamina, um, but he's a great looking horse. Um, and I I looked at him, I thought he would make a nice stadium. I mean. You know, I compared to his father, and I took the photos up there with me, and and geez, he looked identical at the time. And I thought, geez, I, I think he's going to be it's going to be a horse in the future. If, if you sort of uh, come to to the thoughts that what I'm thinking of you, and um, yeah, luckily that we, we decided to purchase him and um, and bring him home. But um, no, I think he'll definitely. I mean, if he picks all the boxes and wins some Group One racing, yeah, he'd definitely be a big big chance. Make a start for sure. How much did he? I mean, the the, the um, 
the Greyhound listeners as well, but the thoroughbred listeners will be thinking, well, that's interesting. He's well-bred. He's a standard bred. How much does it cost to buy a really nice stallion-in-the-making standard bred colt? What, what sort of money? Okay, well, I mean, when, when we went there, and, and the late uh, Tony Floy um, at the time was, was, was there, and um, I, I did discuss with him I was interested in his horse. And, look, we have to pay around the 80000 mark for him, um, which is decent money for a, for a standard bred considering our prize money is sort of a little bit on the lowest side. But, um, you know, if you get a nice horse, I guess it makes it worth it. But, you know, he was in the top-end sort of market, but um, he just couldn't, I couldn't go past him, not buying him. And, um, like I said, he's got the looks, and obviously he's got the speed. And, and like I said, if he ticks a couple of more boxes, I'm, I'm pretty sure he would make a start down the track for sure. Hass, is there any worry with him being a cult at this point in time that, he could just go over the top. Like, does he have a temperament now that you think, I think this horse will be able to manage, you know, being a stallion or a colt throughout his racing career? And that's ideally what you would want now, I think, given that he's got so much potential. And if he does win the Derby and some of these other big races, he's, you know, a huge stud prospect. But do you worry all the time that just the increase in work, the increase in experience and all that will just send him you know, a little bit, not crazy, but just over the top where he may need to be gelded? Simone, that's a great question. Um, look, I, we, we um, although we always would love a stud, but he's such a beautiful horse. The mares and fillies can be right next to him. He just does not worry about them, you know. He, he just so sensible. He's got great temperament. Um, he, like I said, we, we tie up fillies and mares right next to him. He just doesn't bother him. I mean... I've never seen him once get excited or anything like that. Um, no, he's a, he's a great little horse. You'd be hoping eventually he gets interested in them, wouldn't you? Down the track. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, has, how, right now he's much talked about, and harness racing need their, their glamour horses. And, and look, even I can be uh, partly to blame at times if, if it's not quite right because we're searching for a star. What he's done in the first two starts back uh, suggest him he is that that sort of horse but tell us how your situation is does that add to the nerves because at times you want to believe what everyone else is saying and you know your own thoughts but can you get caught up in it um listening to everyone else in the hype um then <laughs> to be quite quite honest with you in the last few years we've had some nearly's um thinking that like an Avon Private Eye could be could be a real good horse and, and so on like that before he broke down. But um, to be very honest with you, this is the first time, I don't know if it's your calling or if it's anything else, but I've had a lot of phone calls. And, and to be quite honest, I'm even bloody nervous to go to the races this week. This is very unusual for me to be like that. Um, I'd rather go fishing and not go to the bloody races. So, well, it's Dan's fault for over-wrapping the horse, and he's, he's only going to be to blame if it all goes belly up. I, I did put my hand up. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah look, I, uh, but look, you know, it, it is a sometimes harness racing or, or all, all sorts of racing. Sometimes that can be a roller coaster ride. Um, but no, look, he, he's, yeah, he, he's got me very nervous. Don't worry about that. I know we spoke about it earlier, winning by 1.5 seconds, Dan, so... For any listeners that are wondering how fast a greyhound goes in a second, they go 16 lengths. So mm. one and a half seconds is 24 lengths for a greyhound. So that's phenomenal. You don't see greyhounds winning and breaking track records by 1.5 seconds. Yeah, so had what, the Kilmore track record been standing mm. for a long time or is it something yeah. that it had been? Yeah, they, yeah. they raced there often enough. I, I was surprised at first that it, it, it maybe it wasn't a little bit quicker, Hass, but um, you know, that was Kilmore Cup night. There's been plenty of good races with old... It wasn't a class record. This was an open-age record. So that's where the head-scratcher came in. And as uh, has said, the horse was throttled down the last 50 metres. He just did it of his own accord. But he worked early. He was wide, went to the front, and then he kept running along. And to be truthful, if the mile rate came up 157.2, I wouldn't have been shocked, Hass. But it, he just seems to cover the ground as all top-line horses do, so easily. Yeah, and also going into his second lifetime start um, at Nelson, he, he broke the um, track record, he broke the uh, three-wide record there as well, he going 152 in his second lifetime start when we had him at, at home. Um, he, he's definitely got the motor. Um, I just, the only thing I, I would say, though, 
experiences the other ones. I mean, definitely his phone suggests that he runs all well. And, and speaking to uh, the Clayton team up there, uh, he said he wouldn't swap them with anything else in the uh, series. So, and he's very, very happy and very bullish about his chances, to be quite honest. Hey, Hass, do you... We had um, Kieran Ma's new business manager in during the week, and he was talking about how sophisticated their <clears throat> their training is, and how they can know as much as we've ever known before about what's under the bonnet with a horse, about lactic lactate. One's different than the other. Um, yeah, lactic, lactic, lactic acid, acid and um, lung capacity, endurance, all that. With I say a horse like this who's super duper, how much do you know, or can you know, or have Emma and Clayton tried to discover about what makes him tick? Yeah, well, speaking to them, they, they, I mean, he's, he's got, for me, with, I mean, he's been working with all these good horses at home, and he just tells me that he toys with them and, 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 and runs through the line really well. So, I mean, I think heart rate's a great, a great indicator. Um, I think if they've got good, good heart rates, and I think that's generally the thing they've got to take something out of, and uh, I think good horses are like well, speaking of heart rates, I think Captain Ravishings is going to be fine. It's your heart rate's going to need to be checked, Hass, because they say the horse may have to give ride. you CPR, Hass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you, Matt. I, I, uh, I you're talking about the two-phase. I've got no more hair left. Um, <laughs> Dan, Dan understands exactly where you're coming from. I'll True. Uh, what a ride. We're all envious, Hass, and, um, you know, there's a part, I think, of everyone in harness racing that are really searching for that. You know, with Lock and Varart going to America, King of Swing being retired, uh, we've had a few horses, uh, you know, changing the guard and might be the right time now, and uh, I think what we've seen in his two runs back, what do they say? The world is his oyster. So um, good luck with the Derby Series. Good luck with the career. We want him to stay sound and see him on the racetrack for a number of years. And I don't think I'll get sick of seeing you taking the, the trophies at all the presentations, mate. I hope it works out. I hope the dream comes true. No, oh, thanks very much, Dan. I've been trying for 30 years, so, um, you know, I'll be hoping that that comes off as well. Has Tabor, the owner of uh, Captain Ravishing at the moment, I, I think it's fair to say Harness Racing's new uh, next best thing. Well, and you've been calling him really early crowishly positive to Dan, so hopefully uh, yeah. he lives up well, to the reps. That's not something that's premeditated either. It happens and unfolds. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I've had enough well, experience to identify something that was just freakish, and that mm. is what he's shown. Speaking of freakish, a horse that was able to do it longevity-wise, um, of course, tonight the Smoking Up Sprint is the feature event, and the great Smoking Up is going to parade at uh, Melton tonight, which is really heartwarming. I love seeing these retired champions come back and to a track that he pretty much made his own. He was the first horse ever in Australia to break 150, and this is when he did it at Menangle. Lance hits the go button now, and he goes for home on smoke and up at the 400, and he races three clear. Third quarter, 27-6. Is it history in the making at Tabcorp Park? Menangle, smoke and up gets four in front now of Mr. Feelgood. Holy Camp boys down the outside. Washaki battles on with Rowan Home. They've got 200 left to go in the Lensmith Mile. It's smoke and up the leader. Rowan Home is eating up the ground on the outside, but he's nicely clear smoke and up. Rowan Home runs into a clear second. Great charge for third. Captain Joy's getting home with Mr. Feelgood, but it's smoke up, eyes on the clock, he's done it 148 and change has beaten in second spot, Rowan home thirds a photo between It's not a bad little connection uh, to uh, Captain Ravishing because of times and how fast a horse Mm. can be and I remember Adam Hamilton used to use the catchy um, line whenever he wrote a story about smoking up saying Australia's fastest horse so the times that Captain Ravishing is running or ran at Kilmore how does it compare to the best of smoking up? Oh, look, uh, no doubt. His uh, last half, at least, uh, it, it was uh, on par, marginally quicker than what Rock and Roll do ran in the Kilmore Cup. Admittedly, that Kilmore Cup was over a, a, a half a lap longer, but they're older horses as well. So it more than measures up. I made a, a comment, maybe I put a bit of mayo on it, but I suggested that what I saw with Captain Ravishing the other night, he'd win the Victoria Cup, um, cut my tongue out. But, uh, you know, there's a part of me that really believes that. So he is absolutely in rarefied air at the moment, but... 
smoking up did it year in, year out for a number of years. That's the second cut the tongue out reference he's made this morning. Like, oh, I realise right? that if you do that, then this would be a sh- panel of two because we wouldn't be much yeah. use to us. You just sit there and no. gr- you can sit there and grunt. Well, but he gets lots I, of replays up for us. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. You can still be our archive man, even if you if you removed your tongue. But hey, assistant producer, exactly, <laughs> assistant to the assistant, maybe. Hey, um, what's going to happen when Lochinvar hits California or where, where, whichever part of the US he's going to end up in? Uh, he'll end up on the eastern side, um, and we'll end up with Peter Tritton as well. So, uh, sorry, with uh, with Shane Tritton and and Lauren, of course, who we've talked to on the show before. Um, I don't know. We'll have to watch this space, see how he goes. He's a stallion, so any win over there uh, will enhance his value as a stallion, perhaps uh, in two hemispheres. But, Can he get uh, back he, there, though? I mean, it's been a bit of a flopperoo. I know he had an issue the other night, but is it conceivable the Americans might see the best of Lock and Varad, or is that not really going to happen? Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't answer that. Uh, I, I, look, I'll be interested to see how he goes at his first run. They might be able to place him in the right uh, race. His first up run will give you a, the best indication. If he's competitive, uh, he'll be right there. I'm sure he'll measure up with his best, but if he's not, it'll be similar to what we've seen in these last couple of starts. But he'll be able to, able to race on you know, the different medications and the, the allowances, as you well know, Matt, are a little bit different in, in North America to, to Australia, and that's the idea uh, to help him through some of, uh, some of his uh, problems that he's had at his last couple of starts. Simone, Dan and I are going to continue this little dance at Flemington for the Turnbull Stakes. Where oh. are you dancing off to? Um, or I'm actually, bolting off well, too? I'm or? actually heading to Melton tonight. Yes. Because we've got pony trots. How's, so, how's the dasometer going with... Um, she's, she's becoming a champion. She's, no, she? she's going really well, but um, the handicapping has her right at the back. So she's having a little bit of trouble making up the ground from being on one of the back markers, even though she's got a little pony that's got a big trot. But it's all, you know, they're just um, trying to get the times and the handicapping settled down a little bit. Is she I think. taking Kim Fredding's advice about how to creep up, creep up from a back mark? She still needs to get down on the pegs a little bit more, as I tell her. But what would I know? Not much. Oh, you think she's driving badly? I think she's, no, I just think she's going, letting horses get under her and go around her. So I'm saying, get down and, on the pegs a bit more. And if I was Darcy, you know what I'd be saying? How many winners did you drive, Mum? Yeah, that's right. But she, look, she, she's going really well. We're, like I say, every week we are having so much fun with it. The kids are great. Great experience. Um, the ponies really settled down, so it, it's been re- it is really enjoyable. So we've got t- Melton tonight and the Vic Cup next week. So you know it's it's good. And we had Kilmore last Big week. Stage. Are you are you going to you calling the pony trots again tonight, Dan? Like I think you were yeah. going to call. So if Darcy doesn't get well, down yeah. to the rail quick enough, are you going to highlight it in the race call? <laughs> I'll highlight what Mum said. I'll, I'll use uh, and, and make sure that your name is attached to that. Some of the ponies, they're tiny. They're, they're knee high yeah. to a grasshopper. Yeah. Those ones off the front mark. Mm. Now, I could you know imagine a, a normal horse float, right? A little pony like that, you wouldn't even see it. I mean, you'd be, they'd be able to fit comfortably in the back seat. My my rotty here, my Rottweiler, would be bigger than some of those ponies. Well, the blokes in Backus Marsh back in the stock feed days could have put the pony on the passenger seat. They could have done. For sure. We've got to go. We've got to go. We've got to go. We've got to go. All right, we'll see you next week, Simone. Yeah, we will. Dan, see I'll see you in an hour or two. Look forward to it. White and one.